This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper. I am, of course, Gwen Cooper, your host, and delighted as always to be here with you. Today, we are actually going to be answering two reader questions. One is a reader email that was submitted to me a few days ago, and another is a reader question that we will be answering in the second half of this episode. And of course, as always, if you have a question or a comment that you would like me to answer or address on a future episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper, please, by all means, head on over to my website, click on the contact form, submit your question to me via email, or you can just shoot me an email at Gwen, G-W-E-N, at GwenCooper.com. You can also head over to my website to leave comments or ask questions directly on the page on my website that is dedicated to this podcast. And yeah, head on over. I would, of course, love to hear from you. But on to today's first reader question that we're going to answer. And this one comes from reader Elizabeth Marangelo. And Elizabeth Marangelo says, I recently adopted a blind seven-month-old cat named Carrots. He is wonderful, but I have to ask, did Homer eventually learn the routine of the house? Carrots does not always know day from night and has been waking me up at 5 a.m. most days. I am not a morning person. Uh, So let me first say, Elizabeth, it is so wonderful that you have adopted a blind cat. And I really, you know, I hear from so many readers and so many listeners. I I get emails literally every single day. Uh, But one of the things that makes me just the happiest, you know, I'm always happy to hear, well, almost always happy to hear from readers and listeners. I do occasionally get the uh, the angry letter, uh, but usually I am I am very happy to hear from people. And, and of course, I love all the email that I get, but really nothing makes me happier than hearing from someone who has adopted a blind cat or kitten. It's just always such wonderful news because these amazing cats are so often overlooked in in shelters, although I do believe that that is not as true as it used to be, thanks to the internet and and so many wonderful internet-famous blind cats, um, like Oscar, for example, who's one of my favorites, or, or was one of my favorites, it was very sad when he passed, uh, but who really are opening people's eyes, as it were, to all the amazing things about living with blind cats. But Elizabeth, to answer your question, so first let me say that I don't know that that waking you up at 5 a.m. is a blind cat thing per se. I think that's just kind of a cat thing. I mean, it, it is true. Homer did not typically wake me up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Um, but I'm going to be honest in saying that Homer may have been my only cat who, in addition to being my only blind cat, was was possibly also the only cat who did not wake me in the middle of the night or at ungodly early hours. Not necessarily all the time, granted, but I think it's first important here to emphasize that cats are actually nocturnal animals, but they are also most likely to be active and around, I'm sorry, uh, in the hours right before daybreak. So 5 a.m. is a pretty typical time for a cat to be active in general. Now, granted, that is more likely to be more the case if your cat is an outdoor cat or even an indoor outdoor cat. But a cat who's feeling frisky at five o'clock in the morning is is not particularly an oddity. I will say from my own experience um, that all of my cats, again, with the exception of Homer, I'm going to say, had some degree or or still have some degree of early morning what's the word I'm looking for? Ram- rambunctiousness. Um, I will say that Fanny, for example, the cat who we live with now, 4.30 a.m. is is really her time. So she has this thing where she really likes it when my husband, Lawrence, 
pets her in bed. He likes when she likes when he's in bed lying on his back and she can climb onto his belly and put her tushy in his face and he gives her a good long back scratch. That's one of her favorite things. Um, and the thing is, though, that she tends to like that at hours that are not necessarily convenient for us. And, and what Fanny will do, and this is true, and this actually just this morning is what happened. So my husband will be lying on his side and Fanny will come up to him and start butting her head pretty hard into his chest until he rolls onto his back and then she climbs onto his stomach so he can pet her. Now, I think certainly a a fair argument could be made that my husband should not (laughs) be in the habit of rewarding this kind of behavior with, with, you know, back scratches if he does not want her to persist in doing it. Uh, But my bigger point is that Fanny is a fully sighted cat and has never had any vision problems. She is well aware of the fact that it is not yet daybreak. Even in the summer, the sun does not come up at 4.30 a.m. in New Jersey. And she is also completely aware of the fact that he is asleep and she does what she wants to do anyway because cats, Elizabeth, can sometimes be kind of selfish. Um, I love my cats. I love all cats. I love my cats in particular. And I have gone on at great length. I, I have expounded hundreds of thousands of words on the subject of why cats are as amazing and wonderful to live with as they are. But early morning consideration for non-morning people is not one of those great things about cats because it's it's just not something I've ever witnessed. I, I can also tell you that in my early, early days of being a, a cat guardian, I used to give my cats dry food and and I just would fill up the bowl with dry food and leave it down for them to eat from all the time. And I realize a lot of people still do that for various health reasons. And especially once I added male cats as opposed to female cats to my family, that no longer became feasible, uh, mostly because an exclusively dry food diet can be dangerous for some male cats who are more prone to urinary tracts blockages. And that's just something, by the way, to be aware of if you do have a male cat, um, that you do want to make sure you include some moist food, at least, in that diet. Anyway, I don't want to get too far into to cat's dietary habits and recommendations, which could be actually a great topic for a show all on its own. But the point being that, you know, for the last decade plus, my cats have all taken to waking me up early in the morning when they want to be fed. And of course, as a very wise person, not me, but this is certainly true, once said, there is no snooze button on a hungry cat. So uh, Elizabeth, getting back to your cat, Carrots, and by the way, I love the name Carrots. (laughs) That is just such an adorable name. I'm going to assume from the name that your cat is a little ginger boy. Um, My guess is that it's not so much that your cat is aware or unaware of the fact that it's daybreak. And I don't know what time you usually get up, but I I think probably instinctively your cat, like many cats, you know, has that instinct to be fairly active in the pre-dawn hours and may not notice as much that you're asleep because he cannot actually physically see that you're sleeping. So some of this may just be a matter of your cat getting used to your schedule. Um, but then again, it might not be. I, I genuinely don't think it has anything to do with blindness, though. I think that while all cats have an instinct to be more active in the pre-dawn hours, obviously many cats will learn to adjust their schedule to their human schedules. But there are also plenty of cats who do not do so. And, you know, I, I know it, it's sort of anathema and it may not be what you want, but you may come to a point where your only option is to begin, you know, sleeping with your bedroom door closed and not allowing the cat in. And I am not advocating for this. Uh, uh, please do not hit me with, with hate mail about how cruel and evil it is to to lock cats out of the bedroom. I will say that as, as half an insomniac myself these days, and that is definitely something that has 
come upon me with age um, as, as I continue to plow deeper into middle age, as my husband so tactfully likes to remind me I am doing. And sometimes it is tough to to fall asleep or to remain asleep, and it can actually become a legitimate problem with health and lifestyle and work and all of those important things. So if you are finding that, that you really cannot get a good night's sleep, my advice to you would be, I guess, one of three things, which would be number one, um, you could try sleeping with the door closed at least sometimes. Maybe you don't want to do it all the time and maybe not on weekends. And your cat might meow at the door, you know, carrots might meow, but if he learns that the door will not open despite his meowing, you might find that that ceases over time, or you might find that it increases. And again, I realize that is not an ideal solution, but it might be an effective temporary solution. Uh, The other two things, the other two pieces of advice that I would have for you would be first that you know, it's carrots is seven months old, so he is still a kitten. And as we all know, kittens are are more rambunctious than older cats. And cats in general are are more instinctively rambunctious in the pre-dawn hours than at other times of day. So you might find as carrots gets older that he gets a little mellower. He probably also won't need to eat as frequently as he does now. Kittens are still growing, of course, and so they need more food and they need it more often than an older cat does. So whether he's waking you up at five o'clock in the morning to play or because he wants to be fed, both of those needs, at least so early in the morning, may decrease somewhat as he gets a little bit older. You might also want to create some kind of an automatic feeder. Uh, Again, it's not a great idea to feed a male cat dry food exclusively. And I know there are a lot of of people and a lot of veterinarians who say that it's not a good idea to give a male cat or, or any cat dry food at all. My own feeling on such things is everything in moderation, and so my cats get mostly wet food, but some dry food, which is good for their teeth, and they seem to like it. But the point that I was going to make is you might want to buy an automatic feeder, something that dispenses a small amount of dry food early in the morning, and this also might keep carrots kind of... At an, at an even keel and, and you, you know, not as in need of your immediate attention at five o'clock in the morning and, and might hold him over, let's say, until seven o'clock in the morning if the reason why he's waking you up is primarily for feeding. Or even if it's not, it, it still may prove a good distraction, even if what he's primarily interested in is playtime. And of course, the third thing I would recommend that you consider, and this might not be the intuitive or immediately obvious answer, but but go with it for a moment, and that would be to get a companion for carrots if he does not already have one. And you may find that carrots is busy enough playing with his buddy at five o'clock in the morning that he does not need as much attention from you until a couple of hours later in the day. Uh, I will say that one of the reasons why I do believe none of my kittens ever woke me up with their playfulness, and, and I've had five kittens, is because all of them, except for my very first, had another cat or kitten around to play with at the same time. And I really think that makes a difference, not just in terms of of early morning wake-ups, but also to your cat's overall emotional health, happiness, well-being, to, to have someone to play like a cat with. Just like most of us, even though we love our cats and and nothing, no other relationship we have in life is is the, quite the same as the relationship we, ha- we have with our cats, we do need some kind of interaction with other people as well. And again, some cats do best as only cats, and carrots may very well be one of them. This is not, nothing that I'm suggesting, obviously, is any kind of a universal solution to all problems, or even to this one specific problem of having a cat who wakes you up in the pre-dawn hours. But these are some things that I've noticed over the years living with cats. And again, I'm always careful to emphasize that I am not an expert on cats in general, or, or really an expert on anything at all in the world, except for my own cats who I have lived with. Um, But the one thing I will say, Elizabeth, is that I do not think Carrots is waking you up at five o'clock in the morning specifically because he's blind. I think that this is probably more um, just the way he's wired, you know, just like some people get up at five o'clock in the morning and some people aren't any good before nine o'clock in the morning. And I myself am a 5 a.m. riser and have been for the last decade. And I'm just a morning person. 
And I would imagine that there are morning cats as well as morning people. But having said all of that, if you are someone listening and this is something you've had experience with and you have tried something that has worked and is not something that I've mentioned here, please do head on over to my website, GwenCooper.com. Check out the comments section on the page on my website that is dedicated to this podcast and leave your suggestions there. I am sure that Elizabeth would be happy to hear them and to benefit from the from your experience and your wisdom. And we are going to take a very short break right now and come back in the second half of the show to answer our next reader question of the week. So stick around, relax, get comfortable, and hang on for more Curl Up With a Cattail. Thanks so much for sticking around. I am going to answer the next reader question of this episode in just a moment. But first, I did want to take this opportunity to offer a special thanks to my Patreon community and supporters, and particularly some new patrons who have come on board since uh, last week's show. And just to give a quick shout out to those people, we have Debbie Cab, Christina DeSalvo, Hella Johnson, Melissa Bennett Rochko. Ken Kistner, and one anonymous supporter. And for those of you who are not quite sure what I'm talking about, Patreon is a, a kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's basically a way of being a patron for creators and artists whose work you admire. And specifically, my Patreon community is about people who enjoy my books and who enjoy this podcast and who enjoy the fact that I publish independently of traditional publishers with their various restrictions, um, et cetera, et cetera. And also that I keep this podcast and my social media accounts completely free of any corporate advertising or sponsorships. And I am able to do all of these things thanks to my Patreon community. And um, you can head over to patreon.com slash Gwen Cooper for more information about that. And Patreon is spelled P as in Paul, A-T as in Thomas, R-E-O-N as in Nancy, dot com slash Gwen Cooper. And there's also lots of cool stuff that you can get as a Patreon supporter, um, private video chats and your name listed at, along with your cat's name in every book that I publish and the special bonus podcast that I do with my husband, Lawrence, which is a lot of fun. And you can also get sneak peeks of books uh, that I'm working on in progress and just lots of other cool stuff. So head on over, check it out when you have a moment. And I did also want to add, um, and I'm adding this as an update to the private video chat that I'm going to be doing this month for some of my patrons, but just to let everybody know. So now that I'm no longer working with a traditional publisher, um, I, I kind of have to do everything myself, right? So in addition to writing the book, I also have to promote the book and market the book and publicize the book, et cetera, et cetera. And so part of that is going to be paid advertising online on places like Facebook and Instagram. This would be me paying to advertise my books, not other people paying to advertise their products in my books or on my Facebook page or on my Instagram account. And there's a lot that goes into advertising successfully, but a lot of it is um, is really digging in deep and analyzing the numbers so you can understand how far your money is going and where you're spending it effectively and where you're not spending it effectively. And I don't want to bore you with a whole lot of details, but in order to really understand this and enable to, in order to be able to do this, I am actually going back to school for a continuing education program in marketing statistics and quantitative analysis, which is probably even less fun <laughs> than it sounds like. And it's a whole lot of math. Um, but I am able to go back to school and to acquire this skill that I need for this new business that I am starting directly and specifically because of my Patreon community. You guys are actually uh, financing my continuing education and my growth as a business person. And so I, I really do, uh, just because I think people sometimes wonder, well, what does she do with the money? What does she need the money for? And, and the, these are the kinds of things 
that I would not be able to do if it were not for my Patreon supporters. And so I thank you. I truly do. Again, this is not just fandom. This is basically your investment in a business and in books and and hopefully in books that you are going to enjoy reading when they come out. And the first one, my first new book will be coming out next month. And I will, of course, give you more information about that as we get a little bit closer to publication. But again, a big shout out and thanks so much to my Patreon community. I literally could not be doing this without you. And this week's reader question is coming from reader Leona Shore. And Leona notes that I've spoken previously and, and very, very briefly about two foster cats who came to live with us in that time between when Scarlett passed away and when we adopted Clayton and Fanny. And so Leona was hoping that I could speak a little bit more in depth about at least one of those foster cats. And also she notes that I generally talk about Clayton and Fanny in the early days when we adopted them, mostly in the context of how they interacted with Homer. And she's wondering if I have any stories about the two of them as very young kittens that aren't about Homer, but are that that are just about the two of them. So I'm going to take the first part of that question first. And, and just to give some background, and I'm assuming that most of you have read Homer's Odyssey and also the sequel to Homer's Odyssey, which is available on Amazon. And if you have not read that sequel, I certainly encourage you to check it out. Um, but what happened was that we we lost Vashti, our our middle cat. Uh, we lost Vashti in 2010, and then we lost Scarlet in 2011, and that was was late in 2011, uh, I believe December of that year. And so what happened was that Homer was an only cat for the first time in his life, and uh, to be very honest. I didn't notice a huge reaction, at least not right away after we lost Vashti, although there was initially a little bit more tension between Homer and Scarlet, which I later realized was probably attributable to their reaction to the fact that that Vashti was no longer there. It just kind of upset the balance in the household a little bit. Uh, but the dynamic between Homer and Scarlet, and and it was always, it, it always both made me laugh a little and 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 shed a small tear. Um, Scarlet really did not like Homer. She she did not like him. Did not want him around. But Homer really liked Scarlet and liked being near her all the time. And uh, there are tons of pictures, and some of you guys may have seen them of Scarlet and Homer sleeping. Let's say not right on top of each other, but very close to each other. And that was always Homer's doing. Homer would wait until Scarlet would settle down somewhere. And then he would settle down a few inches or a couple of feet away so that he was close enough to know she was there, but not close enough necessarily to bother her. And what happened after we lost Scarlet was that Homer's personality really changed very dramatically. And even though he had already been an older cat at that point, he was around, you know, 14 or 15. He had never really acted like an old cat until we lost Scarlet. And then it was like he just aged overnight. And and he started walking very slowly and very stiffly. He wasn't eating as much. Uh, he was not really interested in playing. And I think part of that was the loss of Scarlet specifically, again, Homer always liked being around Scarlet, even if Scarlet didn't especially like having Homer around. But also part of it was that Homer was a very social cat. Not every cat is social. And and probably there are scientists who would tell you that most cats by nature are not especially social, although I'm not sure that I believe that that's true. But Homer was a very social cat, and he really thrived on interaction with other cats and also with people. And Lawrence and I at that point were working from home, but we couldn't literally be in the apartment every single minute of every single day. We did sometimes go out, obviously, even though we were spending a lot more time in the apartment than most people are able to do. And so sometimes we we did go out to dinner or we went out with friends or whatever. You know, we went out. We went out places. We weren't shut-ins. Um... And the thing of it is that that Homer 
had never been truly alone. You know, when we left the apartment, he was alone in the apartment. And it wasn't something he was used to, and and I don't think it was good for him. There are plenty of cats who enjoy some solitude and some quiet. Uh, Homer really never liked being alone, and and I don't think it was good for a state of mind. Anyway, so the, the point being that we wanted to find a companion for Homer. And my initial thought was that we should probably adopt a somewhat older cat, like a mellow older cat, because I thought that a kitten would probably drive Homer, who at that point was a senior cat, a little bit crazy with their rambunctiousness and their constant need for attention. And I wasn't sure that it was something that Homer would be up for. And so there were two foster cats, uh, one who came to us through a a rescue network, and we agreed to to foster one of the cats, and we had a hope that that maybe things would work out. Um, and the other, and, and this is the one I'll talk about a little bit. So this was a cat who we were not fostering per se. We rescued her from a high kill shelter in Long Island. And we named her Stella, and she was a five- or six-year-old calico cat who, in the brief time that we met her at the shelter, seemed like a very friendly cat. Obviously, you know, when you adopt a cat from a high-kill shelter, and and one of the benefits of going to a no-kill shelter is that the volunteers at no-kill shelters really do get to know the personalities of the cats very well. And so you can have more, not that anything is a guarantee in life, but you can have more of a sense of this cat is social, this cat is not social, this cat would do better as an only cat, this cat really needs to have other cats around, this cat gets along with dogs, children, whatever the case may be. Um, We adopted Stella from a situation where she had been there for only a couple of days and in another couple of days would have been euthanized if we had not rescued her. And because she was an older cat, we thought there was a very slim chance that she would be rescued. And so we adopted her. And, And how we ended up there, we did not necessarily have the idea that we would get a cat about whom we knew nothing to bring home with Scarlet. It was a whole long story. And somebody had put out a very desperate plea on on Facebook about this cat whose older owner had died suddenly and the family didn't want the cat and had dumped her in the shelter. And, and anyway, this is how we ended up with this cat. So we brought her home and her name was Stella. And basically what ended up happening within a very short period of time is that we realized that it was not a good match, at least not right off the bat, between Stella and Homer. And Stella, you know, so the, the thing with Homer... Because he was blind, he was not good at picking up on other cats, the the visual cues that cats give off when they're feeling threatened or agitated, um, the, that they might, you know, puff up their backs or, or their, you know, arch their backs and puff up their tails, narrow their eyes, flatten their ears. All these sorts of, of visual cues were, of course, completely lost on Homer, who was also very used to just being friendly with other cats. And so he kind of went right up to Stella and tried to make friends with her. And Stella was not responsive and was a little bit aggressive in, in pushing Homer off. Um, we, we did try a, a gradual introduction using a baby gate and feeding them on, on either side of it so that they could kind of get used to the sight and, and scent of each other. Um, I, I'm compressing a lot of things for the sake of not making this too long a story. But we did try over a period of several weeks a, a gradual introduction. Um, what we ended up finding, though, was that it was not safe for Homer to have Stella and Homer out at the same time. So in other words, if, if Stella had the run of the apartment, then Homer had to be locked up in a bedroom. And if Homer had the run of the apartment, then Stella had to be locked up in a bedroom. We, we even tried kind of, de- you know, dividing the apartment in half for a little while, and, and that was not working well. And, you know, it, it was just not convenient for Lawrence and me. It wasn't that big an apartment. So to have a baby gate in the hall right in the middle and then to make sure that no cat was, was getting over or past it as we were trying to get from one side of the apartment to the other, you know, from the living room to the bathroom, for example, was not really a good or, or feasible way of living for very long. And, you know, I... I talked about this a little bit on social media and because it was an upsetting state of affairs, obviously. And and this was actually the point where I first 
met Jackson Galaxy and where he and I first became friends um, because he had seen this on social media and he reached out to me and he actually came over to our apartment and not as part of an episode and not, you know, in any official capacity, but I, I made him dinner and he met Stella and Homer and and kind of interacted with both of them. And I will, you know, in fairness, his feeling was based on what he saw, and I think he was probably right, that with enough work and enough time, we probably could have arrived at a point where Homer and Stella could coexist peacefully in the same apartment. But my feeling was was in the first place, you know, I, I wasn't looking for something that Homer could live with. I was looking for a situation that would make Homer's life better. And my other feeling, to be very, very honest, was at that particular moment, I, I didn't I didn't want to try. Or rather, I, I didn't want to subject Homer to having to try. I, I did not want to put Homer through a process of learning to live with another cat who was not doing a good job of living with him because Homer had been through so much already, having lost both of the cats, you know, within two years that he had always known. And I, I just didn't want to do it to him. And, and you know, and I will admit that I may have been projecting a little bit. I was grieving as well. Obviously, I, I had also lost Scarlett and Vashti. And so maybe my heart really was not in it. Um, what ended up happening was that I ultimately placed Stella with a no-kill shelter that I had done some work with, and it was a it, it was a beautiful, beautiful cage-free no-kill shelter um, where literally the cats, in addition to their cage-free rooms, also had access to a screened-in meditation garden with birds and grass and trees and a fountain and. All kinds of great stuff that, you know, frankly, I wish I had. But I, I will be honest in saying that I did not feel great about, you know, having made a commitment, I felt when we brought Stella home from that kill shelter that we brought her home from, I viewed it as an adoption, if I'm being honest, and, and not as a foster situation. I later referred to it as a foster situation. And I will say that Stella, within not a very long period of time, ended up being adopted by someone um, where she into a home where she could be an only cat. And I used to get pictures and updates from the no-kill shelter that had placed her in this home. And, and she was very happy. It really was, it was a real love match between her and the person who adopted her. And she got to be the only cat that I think she was probably meant to be. And so ultimately things did work out for Stella. We, we were basically kind of a way station for her. We took her out of a situation where euthanization was almost certain and were able to get her into a situation that eventually led to her perfect forever home. And so to that extent, I feel good about it. But of course, that that was the ending. And when you're in the middle of a story, you don't know what the ending is going to be. And so it, it was really a decision that I wrestled with. And, and honestly, that I still wrestle with, even knowing that things worked out probably as they were meant to work out, and that they worked out for the best for Stella, I'm, I am. I cannot entirely clear my conscience that I did the right thing at the time. Um, I'm. It's not one of my prouder moments as as a a cat parent and a cat writer. And when I was doing my my written curl up with a cat tail monthly series, I really thought for a while about writing a story about this and about Stella, and I never did because. I still haven't entirely come to terms with it. And, and it's been a, nearly 10 years at this point. I just never, I never entirely came to terms with it and, and, and with my role in it. Again, even though I know that Stella in the end turned, you know, ended up much better off. I would also like to say, by the way, I, I, in not letting myself off the hook, that does not mean I wouldn't let anybody else off the hook because Look, sometimes things don't work out. Sometimes you bring a cat home and despite your best efforts, it is not a good fit with the cats who already have in the household. 
And I do not believe in irresponsibility. I do not believe in simply abandoning abandoning a cat or throwing a cat in into a kill shelter. The people who put Stella in this kill shelter in the first place because her owner died and her relatives couldn't take her, so they just, you know, dumped her at the pound, basically, and forgot about it. They are terrible people who really disappointed the mother and sister, who I'm sure would have trusted them to do better for the cat that she left behind, as all of us would expect of our families. And, you know, the main thing is to act, but but for most of us, what I would say is that the main thing is to act responsibly. Sometimes a cat does need to be rehomed, and sometimes that is the best thing for you, for your existing cats, for the cat that you've tried to bring into your home. It does just work out that way sometimes. And there's a reason why not every foster becomes a foster failure, why even most fosters do not become foster failures. And it is a wonderful thing to provide a temporary home for a cat who needs it, until a better or more permanent home can be found. And so when I say that I have not completely absolved myself, I don't want to imply that I am in any way casting any judgment on anyone who has been in a similar situation and has done what I did. But you know how it is. It's you you look at people who who look beautiful and you you know you think they're beautiful and then you look at yourself in the mirror and you're wearing similar clothes or you have your hair styled in a similar way except you think you look terrible. Maybe that's not the best analogy, but we're all harder on ourselves than we tend to be on others. And I I you know I certainly know this about myself. So I don't want to sound as judgmental of others as I do of me. But anyway, that that in a nutshell is the story of Stella, you know, and of course, the other part that made it hard is is we had her for several weeks. And during that time, as much as I did not like that she was acting aggressively toward Homer, I still, of course, could not help becoming attached to her myself. And, and she was very friendly and affectionate with me. And that was really the other thing that, that made it hard to bring her to the no-kill shelter where we brought her, even knowing that she would have a wonderful time while she was there and would eventually go on to a wonderful home when she found a forever home. So that is the story of Stella. And I I will also say that the whole experience with, with fostering both Stella and the other foster cat who we temporarily fostered was that it really gave me an incredible appreciation for the people who do this on a regular basis, for the people who are routinely fosters for cats. Um, because it's it's like anything else, it's, it's a mixed bag and you don't necessarily know what you are getting, but you commit to helping this cat anyway. And, and I think it really is just such a wonderful thing. There, there's no better, there's no more What's the word I'm looking for? You know, the the kind of altruism that involves bringing someone into your home and caring for them there is about as genuine as altruism gets. And what I learned is that I am apparently not a good enough person to do it on a regular basis. Um, Actually, no. What I will say is that I, you know, since then, I haven't lived in a house where it's really been feasible to give a, a cat or kittens their own room or their own space that would not be accessible to the other cats at all. You know, mostly I've lived in in houses with two bedrooms and not a lot of rooms that have doors. And like right now, there other there's there's a bathroom door and there's two bedroom doors and those are all the doors in this house. And one of the bedrooms is our bedroom, and the other one is Lawrence's office. And neither of those would be a great place to confine a cat or kittens. Um, especially in the bedroom because Clayton and Fanny would, would lose their minds if for some reason they couldn't get into our into our bedroom. But if I'm being very honest, I would also have to concede that it's probably just not something that I am cut out for. Uh, and in part, I think because I end up with such conflicting feelings of becoming overly attached on the one hand and then overly guilty on the other when the cat ha- goes to another home or, or to a shelter and so, like I said, I, I think the people who who do this on a regular basis are genuine heroes, and I salute you for it. And you are certainly much better than I am. So, so thank you for that. Thank you for your service. Um, as far as Clayton and Fanny goes, I, I'm sure there are some stories about them that I haven't told. It's true that in the sequel to Homer's Odyssey, I really introduce Clayton and Fanny in the context of their relationship with Homer. And 
Immediately, by the way, I realized that it was just a much better decision ultimately to introduce Homer to a kitten. And and the only thing that, you know, in terms of a kitten being too much energy, too high energy, too demanding of attention for Homer, the solution to that was to adopt two kittens together. And so I adopted Clayton and Fanny as a bonded pair. And and this is something that I've discussed quite a bit. You know, the, the only thing I probably haven't talked about much when when we adopted Clayton and Fanny, we knew that Clayton had this kind of malformed half leg that would most likely eventually have to be amputated. And I've had people ask me over the years why we amputated that little half leg. Um, we sort of always knew we were going to have to. So, so Clayton's deal was he was born with three normal legs. And then one leg that was kind of like a half a leg. And and it was like half the length of a normal leg. And it ended in what was almost like just one giant single toe, if that makes any sense. And it had just just one big pad at the base, you know, like the little the little beans that, that cats have on their on their toes. So so that was the deal. And we knew that we were likely going to want to have it amputated regardless. Because Clay, it, it didn't work. It didn't accomplish anything. He couldn't walk on it. It didn't even reach the ground. But when he was walking, he was always trying to move it and it would spin and spin. And it was just like a lot of wasted energy. It wasn't really an aesthetic question per se. It was just harder for him to get around with it than it would be without it. Um, the reason why we ended up having it removed as early as we did, we were originally going to wait until home, uh, till Homer, till Clayton was fully grown before performing the surgery because we wanted to give his bones a chance to settle into their final shape. But what happened was that right before he came to us, he had gotten a little cut at the bottom of that, that little half leg. And the cut would not heal because the blood circulation was so poor to that part of his body. And so, you know, the cut got infected and the infection was not necessarily getting worse, but it wasn't getting better. And and days became weeks and weeks became a couple of months and it was still not getting better. And when they finally took a culture, uh, the culture came back positive for everything, including antibiotic resistant staph. And probably that was because of contact with the bottom of of that leg and the litter box, you know, as as opposed to, I I don't think he really had all of these various possible bacteria or infections that he was testing positive for, so much as the bottom of his, that leg was coming in contact with things in his litter box. But anyway, at that point, it was just, I realized that it was really, it it had to go. It, it was too much of a liability. It wasn't doing him any good. And ideally, we would have waited till his bones had settled a little bit more. But obviously, the worst case scenario would be for him, for the infection to persist and spread beyond his leg into other parts of his body. And I had lost two cats already in the previous two years to serious health issues. And I'd spent a lot of time at the vet's office and in consultation with the surgeons at my veterinarian's office. And I will say that that it was really traumatic for me. I, I haven't talked about it too much, but that time that Clayton was at the vet and we let him stay there for two weeks because once he had stitches in, the veterinarian told us that the two things he wanted was for Clayton not to move around that much and for Clayton's litter mate, Fanny, not to disturb the area where the stitches were. And I honestly had no idea how I was going to accomplish either of those things at home. Um, because Clayton was a very, very, very high energy kitten. Even among kittens who are, you know, kittens are generally high energy little creatures when, when they're not fast asleep. But even by that standard, Clayton was exceptionally energetic and rambunctious and always trying to jump on and off of things. And especially as kittens, he and Fanny were just all over each other all the time. And they were always grooming at each other and they were always, you know, like like chewing at each other's fur and playing with each other and kicking and biting and scratching. And I just had no earthly idea how I was going to keep Clayton from moving around a lot or keep Fanny from going after Clayton's stitches or or disturbing Clayton's stitches, even if she did so inadvertently. 
And I was toying with the idea of getting some sort of like a crate or a cage and keeping Clayton confined to it for the two weeks that the stitches were in. But I foresaw that a a scenario in which Clayton was confined to a cage and Homer and Fanny were just roaming around free and unable to get to Clayton, who was unable to get to them, was just going to be a miserable experience for all of us. And that Clayton would cry and cry and cry and none of us would have a moment's peace. So Clayton boarded at the vet's office while he was recovering from, you know, from from his surgery and while his stitches were in. And it, it was a pretty traumatic scenario. I can't lie. Just because I had hoped that, you know, th- this was all again within like three or four months of having lost Scarlett. And so I had hoped that it would be another year or so before I would again have to kind of of go through having a cat who required serious medical intervention and surgery uh, that I would have maybe a little bit more time to to process everything that had happened with Scarlett and Vashti before facing that again. Not that I am complaining. Obviously, I was not the one who had to have a leg amputated. That was Clayton. Um, so it was certainly for Clayton that the experience, I, I guess, was the most traumatic. Although I will say that I don't think it traumatized Clayton at all. And I don't just mean losing the leg because honestly, he, he really couldn't even use that leg. And so in terms of losing it, it, he didn't lose, he only gained in, in speed and agility and mobility once that useless leg, that useless half leg was gone. Um, but Clayton kind of loved being at, the the vet hospital and and they adored Clayton. Clayton is this weird cat who likes he likes everybody, he loves people, he loves attention, and he loved being at the, bo- being boarded at the animal hospital because he got so much attention from the vet and from all the vet techs when I brought him back for checkups as a kitten. He was like a like a celebrity there. When Clayton, you know, they would scream as he walked in and everybody would scoop him up and he would be in everybody's arms and they would pass him around. And I think it must be, you know, when you're a vet, you obviously go into it because you like animals. And then, you know, the the irony of the whole thing is that so many animals don't like you because you're a vet. And I would imagine if you're a vet, it's especially difficult to make friends with a cat. You know, dogs are, are one thing and more forgiving. But if you're a veterinarian, there can't be too many cat patients who are also kind of your buddy. And Clayton definitely was, though. And so they sent him home with, I can't even tell you how many toys. And when I used to go visit him there, I mean, I could see there just so much attention was being showered on him. So I really don't think the experience was traumatic for him. Um, but, you know, we we had been through a lot at that time with our cats. And I don't talk about it, I guess, too much. I don't really like to talk too much about Scarlet and Vashti's last illnesses, or at least not in, in very much detail, because I don't like to bring anybody down. Uh, it's something we all go through as people who love Cats, I mean, that's just part of the deal. We adopt cats, we adopt dogs, we adopt animals in general. And for the most part, they do not live as long as we do. And and so as George Carlin used to say, when you adopt when you adopt a pet, when you adopt a cat, actually, I think is what he said, you are basically bringing home a, a, a miniature tragedy. And to some extent, that that is true. Um, but the one thing that I do really feel and, and as... Uh, Upsetting. It was almost like having PTSD. As upsetting as it was to to again find myself at the animal hospital with Clayton and and with this this new cat who had to have a sudden emergency surgery performed, and even given my disappointment in myself that things did not work out with Stella and that she did not end up as a permanent part of our home or permanent member of our family, I will say that that I I do ultimately believe everything worked out as it was supposed to. And and I know this is always the way you feel when when you love someone and, and when the relationship works out, but I really do feel that Clayton and Fanny were meant to be our cats. They were meant to be with Homer. They they brought so much joy and 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 fun and heart and warmth and love to Homer's last year of life. And just for that, I would have loved them forever I, and, and been grateful to them forever just for doing that for Homer. 
but also obviously now they've been nine years with us and and they are the cats we were meant to be with. And if I'm being honest, then even though I'm disappointed with myself in a lot of ways with Stella, I will say that I also believe I was not meant to be her forever family. I was meant to be the person who helped bring her to her forever family. Um, I, I really do believe that, especially based on everything that I have heard about how well she and, and closely she bonded with the person who did eventually adopt her. That was a, you know, one of those instant, they, they instantly connected and one of those meant to be relationships. And it was not my relationship, but I, I played a small role in, in helping Stella find that relationship. And maybe it is a story that I should tell more often or that I should write down and tell in a little bit more detail because I think that there are probably a lot of us who have been in a situation where things have not worked out as we would have hoped with one specific cat, and it makes us question our the goodness of our own hearts and whether or not we really care about cats or about animals as much as we believe we do or or we feel that that it is a failure or that it is our failure. And again, with the clarity of, of hindsight, even though I, I still don't feel about it the way I would like to, I, I do recognize that things absolutely worked out for the best for Stella herself, which is really the only important part of this whole thing. And I, I think we all have a tendency sometimes to beat ourselves up for decisions that we make at the time, even when looking back, we realize that everything worked out for the best in the end. So that is something to consider, and uh, possibly the story of Stella will appear in a future book, and if it does, you can certainly say that you heard it here first. And on that note, I am going to say goodbye for this week. I certainly hope to see you next week for another all-new episode. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cattail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline-loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book, or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me, and don't forget to hug your cat today.